Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nitty Sports Now Podcasting Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. Kevin, spring ball is just around the corner. Winter workouts are well underway, but it's never too early to talk position battles for the Nitty Lions. Yeah, winter workouts. It's the time where competitors and leaders start to emerge, but also where the coaches really start to get a idea of where that depth chart's going to line up come spring. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, it might not be the position battles that are the most intriguing uh, aspect of the team that's heating up. It's the leadership aspect because the Nittany Lions have lost quite a bit of leadership uh, over the last year with Sean Clifford now finally graduating again, uh, as well as Jonathan Sutherland. Those are two guys that were both three, four-year captains. And that is huge when you lose that type of veteran leadership. But then you look at the way the roster is shaped up, and there's a lot of young guys that have experience now that can carry that torch. It'll just be interesting to see who steps up as that lead-by-example type or that vocal type for Penn State moving forward. Yeah, and I think the defense is really where we're going to see that. Um, You mentioned him, Jonathan Sutherland. He was there for six years, just as long as Sean Clifford, like you said. And he's really that vocal leader. You know, he wasn't the most capable player, but he was there. And I think he was really big in the locker room. So there's going to be your vocal. Like, who's going to step up and become that vocal leader? And then you have a couple really big lead-by-example guys. Joey Porter Jr. was on the outside, probably going to be a first-round draft pick. Some people are saying as high as number number six. Like that's a big lead by example. And then probably the biggest lead by example in that defense was Jair Brown, like just an ultimate playmaker in college. And who's gonna step up and become that guy? So yeah, you've got Kalen King. Yeah, you've got Storm Duck. What's he gonna be like? But who's gonna step up at safety? Is Keaton Ellis gonna raise his game and become there? So we'll see how that goes. And then we'll look at Kind of the interior, like PJ Mustafer, he's gone. He was there forever. And he had Juice Scruggs too. So we'll see what kind of replacements they can come up with. You can't replace that value. You can only hope to mimic it and hope to, to eventually, you know, succeed that. And and I think with Penn State's able to get as good as or better leadership out of the guys that are with that roster are on that roster now. That could end up being a great thing for the Nittany Lions moving forward. I think so. And, yeah, the offensive line does lose Juice Scruggs, but you have Landon Tangwell there. Hunter Norzad, even though he transferred in last year, he's really experienced. Uh, Drew Shelton played a pivotal pivotal role last year, even though he's only going into his sophomore season. Olu's just going to lead by everybody wants to outcompete him. Everybody wants to try to match his skill set because he's – Tagged as that first round talent. You got Caden Wallace, who's going to be a red, his red shirt season the senior this year. Um, Sal Wormley. I mean, there's a lot of experience coming back there. So, yeah, Juice Scruggs is gone. Probably an important piece, but I think it's there. Um, it's just going to be a matter of how much of a void is left from Sean Clifford as the quarterback experience. And Let's see if Drew Drew Aller can be that that field my the field general. Can he be that locker room presence? I mean, how do you how do you follow a guy who's been there for six years and the leader for a solid four of those? 
Yeah, I mean, that's tough. And it's not going to be easy to replace Sean Clifford both on and off the field. But that's going to be Drew Aller. And there, you know, we talk about position battles, right? There is no position battle, in my opinion, at, at quarterback. I, I it, it is Drew Aller's job unless he gets hurt. And I hope that's not the case. Uh, but looking around, you know, running back position, not a big issue uh, because they have Singleton and they have Catron Allen, and there's just, I mean, it, it's a 1A, 1B, maybe even a 1A, 1A plus, or, or however you want to say that. Um, you sprinkle in some Tank Smith and some routes, and uh, and, and and I think you got a really good situation moving forward. Yeah, it sucks that you lose Kevon Lee, but that's not nearly a shock, and they really didn't play with him for most of the year. So there's also that. But then you look around the rest of the offense, uh, the tight ends, there could be some good position battles there, but the position battle I'm interested with the most, interested in the most, uh, come the spring, is at wide receiver. You've got, uh, you lose Mitchell Tinsley, you lose Parker Washington, Country Lambert Smith steps up, but you also got some other options, both internally and what they've gotten from the portal that that make that uh, not only just a strong room, but what could be you know, a, a hot, hotly contest, contested um, position battle as well. Yeah, certainly. That receiver room is crowded. Uh, there's at least, what, eight or ten guys who we're thinking is going to be probably in the rotation. Uh, and they're all young. I mean, Penn State pulled in five wide receivers from the 2022 class. They pulled in another, what, one or two this year. Um, but – then they bring in two in the transfer portal. So there's just a lot of guys who aren't really experienced. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith is the most, he's been there the longest he's going into his junior season. And then you have Malik mega also going into his junior season, but you got to look at the youth and it seems like there's a lot of horses in the back for that one. And it's just going to be interesting to see. I mean, there's a lot of guys to keep happy over there. We talked about KLS Liam Clifford's still there. Omari Evans seems like he's going to be a burner. Uh, we've we've talked about him as potentially a breakout star. You got Trey Wallace, who's been competitor of the day a few times in the winter workouts. Caden Saunders, like we can just keep going on and on. And you're like, oh yeah, I got uh, that guy's on the roster. Oh, that guy's on the roster. Oh, that guy's on the roster. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of that depth. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that goes and. It'll be in. It, it, it's just one of those positions that, hey, we're here. We are talented. It's seeing what's going to give them the best options on the field, and then Penn State going from there. And I think that's going to be a, a great opportunity for the Penn State offense uh, moving forward. And I think it's also good because when you match up against Ohio State, Ohio State's always three or four deep. They've always got three or four, five stars on the roster and starting games. Penn State in the last few years, it's kind of been, you know, they've got one star. They've got maybe a star and a half. But now, in terms of, like, being on-field stars, not necessarily what they were on the recruiting mm-hmm. trail. But now it seems like they've got a lot of guys who are going to be budding college stars who are, like, they're just going to be out-competing each other. So I think, like, that's kind of where we've been short against where they've been short against Ohio State and it feels like that gap's kind of closing. Yeah, they don't have the high school recruiting profile, but Penn State is starting to really develop talent. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. There's this is a team now that I think the struggle with Penn State when they were struggling in 2020 and 2021 is that there just wasn't quality depth. Well, now they've got quality depth at nearly every position, both up front on both sides of the football, at the next level with the linebackers and the running backs, at receiver, at cornerback, at safety, and at cor- at quarterback. You know, there are a lot of different options here for the New Lions, and that's something they didn't have in 2020 and 2021. And you saw that when Noah Kane has to step up, when Journey or um, when Journey Brown went down before the season, and when uh, when Kevon Lee had to step up and, and losing guys left and right. And now that that depth is where it needs to be and where it should have been. So I think that's that's a situation to to monitor as well as how many of these guys can they get on the field and how productive can they be. Yeah, and another place where the depth is going to be key is can they actually start rotating some offensive linemen? Or linemen, you're bringing Javon Williams in, you're bringing Alex Birchmeyer in, both three, both four stars. I think Javon even got his fifth star on some polls. So, like, can they start rolling? Are they confident enough to roll eight offensive linemen to keep them fresh? Or you know, if somebody tweaks his ankle, is he gonna is he gonna feel obligated to stay out on the field and try to tough it out or? Like, does he, does he feel comfortable to take off a couple snaps, like go get taped up? You know, it leaves a lot of bit more freedom, but then us, if you do have that depth, like, are you afraid to come off the field? Cause you don't want to get replaced, but I, yeah. offensive line is not really a place where you're going to be rotating guys, but it gives them the option to keep them fresh. And with the running game that they have, the pass pro that they're going to need, like you need guys fresh to do that, especially in the big 10 with Michigan and Ohio state's defensive lines. Like, you got to have fresh offensive line to combat the fresh defensive line. And if, you know, if they can get guys, a couple breathers here and there, maybe one series or two, just to get that breath, just, just to get the breather, get a, get a little bit of a rest. I think it's plays plays in their favor. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, you know, it, it's a very exciting time for Penn state and Penn state fans uh, because there's depth in, you know, it gives people a reason to come to, to Beaver stadium every week. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, beaver stadium and what's to come for for that one of the happiest places on earth every saturday afternoon and saturday night uh during the fall uh for the nitty lines when we come back for the second segment of the lashing out podcast on the nitty sports now network Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the New Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, Beaver Stadium is uh, is a fascinating uh, facility. There, It's like an onion, right? There are multiple layers. You can see the original bowl. You can see the steel structures that were brought over from old Beaver Field. Um, you can see a lot of steel beams in the new stadium. You can see the brand new, well, not brand new, but one of the newer parts of the stadium is the Nittany Lion Club and the seats uh, along the north end zone that, that you could once see Mount Nittany from. Uh, and you can see, you know, the, the double wide trailer that looks like it's a press box and it is a press box, but it looks like it could be found in a tornado somewhere um, and just dropped on a couple steel beams. And, uh, and then there you have it, but there is nothing quite like Beaver stadium no matter where you go, there's just not much like that atmosphere. And there's not much that, that can replicate that type of environment and it, and how loud it is. I mean, you have very few facilities 
in the world now that are that are like and and I, um, Quest Field, I think it is up in Seattle where the Seahawks play. I, I know the name has changed quite a bit, um, but it is is a place that has has been able to magnify that sound. But Beaver Stadium, there just isn't anything like it. So when the uh, the president of the university and and Dr. Pat Kraft talk about renovating the stadium. It, it makes absolute sense because you cannot rebuild a stadium and, and have it have the same impact on a game that Beaver stadium does. You can't. And it's Beaver stadium is what 1961. So there's the history there. Um, can't remember if you mentioned it, but the new scoreboards, like the new video boards are immaculate up on top. And that was the last thing that they added. And that was in 2014. Yeah. Had it been 2015, because I think I had a year with the old scoreboards, and then then we got the new ones, and I kind of didn't realize it for a few games, and I felt like an idiot once I did. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I'm really excited that they are renovating it, because where do you put the new stadium? And Beaver Stadium has the good bones. I'm no structural engineer and power systems, but the erector set, I think it looks cool. It's probably adequate for any amount of weight that they want to put on it. I-beams are really strong um, from a structural standpoint. So if you're a nerd, keep listening. Um, but yeah, I really like the way that they're going about it. Uh, if it looks anything like the renderings that came out a year ago, you know, the brick, they kind of just expand the footprint of the stadium out. They give wider concourses. They could probably insulate the pipes better in those wider concourses, stuff like that. And there is room for Beaver Stadium to grow. It can keep its same capacity and add chairback seating because the upper decks are kind of just pieced on there. So like they may have to rework how those sit, like maybe shift them back over, like push them further back out of the stadium so that they can kind of create a full upper deck kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know the logistics of that. Hopefully that's stuff that can be done like incrementally through the off season so that we're not having entire upper decks under construction during the season kind of thing. They but, they won't ever impact. I don't think it'll, they'll ever let it impact again impact the season. That's too much revenue lost. And it's it's kind of too much risk. Like you don't want fans in a stadium that's under construction. So exactly. but I think I think we'll start to see it, you know, in pieces so like, oh, we can finish the south end zone. We can finish the north end zone. And then we can do the East concourse. We can do the West concourse, all those kinds of things. I think it's going to be done over probably several years just because they do still need to use the building. And it does sound like they want to keep the capacity where it's at. Might it go up or down a thousand? Yeah, but they really honed in on 107,000. And I think they're going to do everything they can to preserve that. Exactly. They're not going to change much, if at all, when it comes to that sort of thing. And nor should they. Uh, the capacity is going to stay the same because you can't say no to 107,000 paying customers, no matter what, no matter what. Especially when um, 90,000 of them are season ticket holders. Exactly. So that's that's always going to be a thing. Um, but they can make a lot of improvements with, on the concourse and, and widening them, widening them out, and really kind of accommodating for the the beer sales. And I think that was one of the situations last year. You know, as I roam roam some of the concourses. Just the beer lines were insane. And I get that, you know, anytime you have 100,000 people in the same place, it's not going to be good traffic-wise. But, you know, just accommodating for that, maybe putting them in better areas, maybe building them into the stadium a little bit more, 
um, where the traffic can flow a little bit better, things like that. Um, obviously, the Wi-Fi in the press box is huge. More room in the press box would be great, too. It's a tight, tight squeeze, so that's frustrating in and of itself. But at the same time, you know, Beaver Stadium is a, is a great place. You know, you mentioned the Erector set, and that's so true. Uh, it does look like that, and it's aesthetically not as pleasing as you would think. But at the same time, there are, there are just a few places that you could modernize and, and bring up to date that I think is going to set it um, – set the stage for the next 50 60 70 years of beaver stadium uh and i think that's kind of what makes it what makes it so unique then they had the brick the brick facades um and those renderings and i think that would be a great look uh but it's what are you going to do with all of that and how are you going to use it I, I mentioned in my article this week on nittany sports now about you know making them all sports museum bigger and more available i think a lot of people forget about it and i know it's not really available on game days but that would be a great time. You get up there at Penn State for a, for a four o'clock kick. You're there at one o'clock. You go check out the sports museum. Go to the go to the store. Add some, you know, do some things at British Jordan Center, and just make it more of an, a game day experience. That way, you're not always out in the tailgate lot. And and let's be real, there there are kids that go to these games too, and I and that matters as well. You know, keeping them busy and keeping them entertained rather than seeing bumbling idiots falling around um, the grass lots. But there, there are options for Penn State. And the good news is this isn't going to be taxpayer or student funded. Yeah, nothing's coming from the education budget. Um, I would say the one thing I'd love, I would like to be changed from the rendering should they go that route is not do the red brick, kind of like the SEC style, but really embrace, what is it? Uh, I sound like an idiot because I don't know rocks, but was it limestone? Yeah. Like that kind of like, creamish color that they already have around like mm-hmm. kind of embracing into that and then you can get in some dark tones like to accent with it to you know kind of get like kind of get a blue white thing going on um instead of just going like full sec with red bricks and i mean i think what i should know this death valley and clemson has a lot of red bricks around it too like red bricks to me just screams the south acc sec Whereas, you know, embrace what Pennsylvania has already. Yeah, I think they I think that would be a good idea. Just keep it modern, keep it and, and match it to what the other buildings look like on campus as well. That way it kind of looks a little bit more uniform, um, and things of that nature. But at the same time, they get the opportunity to renovate the stadium and it desperately needs it. Uh you mentioned insulating those pipes, they're gonna have to. If Penn State wants to host playoff games, um, they're gonna have to 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 figure out a way to isolate or to insulate those pipes and make sure that pipes don't freeze, you know, when the stadium, if the stadium weren't to get winterized uh, between the prestigious Lang Grant game, the, the typical or the last game of the home season and in the playoff, because that, that matters now as the playoff field expands here in the next few years. Certainly. And I think the last thing that needs to be upgraded is the lights. They only have four posts. That's right. I, and I, I always forget about the lights, but they are probably one of the older lights. So they cost a lot more to, to run than, than most, but you got to go to the led and here, and, and that's going to add to the game day experience as well, because guess what? When they do the light shows, they're never going to be able to turn those lights back on and then pop them back up or turn them off and turn them back on the way so many schools do that now. So them being able to upgrade those lights, modernize those lights, is only going to make the game day experience even better because 
imagine when the team is coming out and it and it just goes dark uh, for a whiteout, and all I hate you that. see I'm sorry. is the white stadium, right? Or the lights, or or whatever. And for kid, for people that have astigmatisms like myself, it's not a fun time. But <laughs> but having that added to it, and the and the opportunity to do more things, the lights where they go crazy. If Nick Singleton scores a touchdown, or Drew Aller throws a touchdown, or whatever, I think could could really be a, a neat way to to add to the game day experience. Yeah, I'm okay for a mild light show, but like you were hinting at, I don't know if I wanted to go like light dark, light dark, light dark um like some of the other ones do but you know to, to do like a flip between i mean blue and white you know they could do whatever they want like they could get some more flexibility and you know i'm sure that's more appealing like more modern technology is going to appeal to more kids so beaver stadium for its charm maybe doesn't necessarily appeal to most 17 and 18 year olds so you have the atmosphere which does appeal to them but if you don't have the modern amenities you got to compete. You got to compete with the teams with, you know, the crazy locker rooms like Georgia and Alabama and Ohio state's got a crazy locker room. Like you got to compete with that. And that's mostly in their football field house, but I'm sure they're, I'm sure their stadium locker rooms are just as nice. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta keep up with the Joneses and it's that simple, but, but we're going to pivot a little bit more to basketball when we come back here on the lashing out podcast and the sports town network after this quick break. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, the BJC is quite the place to be right now. And, you know, recently you've had wrestling there. You've had Penn State basketball there, both girls and men's and women's. But on, on this weekend, all eyes were on the Bryce Jordan Center, not for sports but for one of the greatest student-run philanthropic events in the world. And I'm talking about THON, which is for the kids always, but one of the most impressive things that Penn State University does every year. You're right. And if you're listening to this, you know what it is. It's a 48-hour dance marathon. It's the largest student-run philanthropic uh, organization in the world. And all they all of their money goes straight to pediatric cancer research. And this year they set a new record. Uh, they've been setting records pretty much every year since they set it. 2019, 2020, they're 2020, they're just under 12 million at 11.7. Down year in 2021, obviously the pandemic was still going on, so it didn't really help. But last year they had 13.7 million, and this year they set another new record at over 50, just over 15 million. Uh, just an all-around wonderful organization. You can't say a bad thing about it. And just congratulations to the organizers and everybody else who went out and fundraised because, you know, it's it's just such a good cause and it, there's nothing else you can say about it. Yeah, I mean, those numbers are staggering and and the purpose is incredible and the reason why is incredible. Um, but also... Bryce Jordan Center hosts or is home to Jalen Pickett, who is just absolutely lighting it up on the hardwood for the Nanny Lions, who are 
they're not playing their best basketball as of late, but are still in, in and around that, that bubble that hasn't quite burst just yet, but it's getting dangerously close. Though Pickett is, is having himself one hell of a season. He is. And after the 41-point performance against Illinois, he followed up with a 32-point performance this weekend. And I saw a stat this week. In the last 25 years, only three players in D1 basketball or the NBA have had at least 70 – over a two-game span have had 70 points, more than 70 points, 15 assists, 10 boards, mm-hmm. shot better than 65% from the field and better than 90% from the line. The other two were in the NBA, and that was Steph Curry and LeBron James. So watch out, LeBron. Jalen Pickett's coming for the crown. Yeah. I and to be mentioned in those names, um, and, and with those names is absolutely remarkable. Uh, he is he's just playing lights out basketball, uh, and and he's been a lot of fun to watch. If you have the opportunity to go watch him play in person, uh, it's worth it. Uh, he's a guy that transferred from Siena uh, a couple of years ago, stuck it out, uh, had a, has chiseled out a, a legendary career with the Nittany Lions that that you hope ends in a tournament. Uh, in March and, and hope that it has a, a great big 10 tournament uh, under its belt. And, and that he gets, you know, that opportunity to showcase that uh, I think he's going to be the next thing, next player to, to go to the league, just like Lamar Stevens. I think a team would be, would benefit greatly from, from picking him. Uh, even if he goes to the G league to start and then earns his way onto an NBA roster, I think that'd be well-deserved. Uh, and and warranted. I think he's good enough to play at the next level, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what's next for him. Um, but yeah, and and so we talk about we're talking about the Bryce Jordan Center. We talked about the uh, Beaver Stadium. One of the other teams to to come to the BJC is the wrestling team. They just demolished Clarion uh, in wrestling uh, over the weekend. Now they're preparing for the Big Ten uh, championships, and they're of course having a, a spectacular season as well. Um, favorites to win the Big Ten once again, uh, and then perform well at, at NCAA tournament. So it it's a good time to be a Nittany Lion fan. And then we haven't even mentioned hockey. Uh, and hockey's doing um okay. They haven't done, you know, they're, they're they have a tough schedule. The Big Ten is is not easy to play hockey in. Um, and they just hosted, you know, yet again another top ranked team. Uh, over the weekend, and it, the, the what they have to do is is far from easy. You know they hosted the number two ranked uh, team in the country, Minnesota. So they played in in back to back or in, in three straight weekends. They played uh, top ten ranked Michigan, top ten ranked Ohio State, and top ten ranked Minnesota. Now they head to Wisconsin this weekend to end uh, the regular season, and then it's um, Big Ten tournament time, and. You know, that's not an easy schedule. I mean, you got then you've got, you know, Michigan State that's ranked in the top twenty, RIT that's in the top twenty, Notre Dame that has been ranked. Uh it's just a tough schedule. And, you know, kudos to Guy Godowski and, and the rest of the squad. Their Penn State's playing has has done very well and you know, they're they're nineteen, twelve and one, uh, with time spent within the top ten. But man, that is a gauntlet. It really is, and Big Big Ten hockey is seemingly becoming the go-to uh, conference in hockey. And yeah, they started off 
really hot this year. They've kind of stumbled of late, especially dropping both games to Minnesota this weekend. But Minnesota's now the number one ranked team in the country. So if you're going to lose two games a week, and you might as well do it the best team in the country. So uh, it'll be interesting how the Big Ten tournament plays out. They're going to be a fringe frozen. They're not going to get to – I don't think they're going to get to the frozen four, but they might be kind of in – whatever the hockey equivalent of the elite eight is there. They're currently ranked 10th, like you said, and they just got to put a couple games together. It's not unfathomable to think that they could jump Ohio state in the rankings. If you know, they can get into that number eight spot and make it to the tournament. So we'll see how that goes. And I really hope that they can. I mean, Penn State's never made it to the Frozen Four, and I said they're probably not going to get there this year, but Guy Ganassi's team, kind of like Penn State football, always just seems to be right there on the edge. And this year's may not be the year, but it seems like the program is staying into that normal annual top 10 discussion. Yeah, and I think a good performance in the Big Ten Championship will go a long way, but that it's, it's, not, it's nearly March, and that's where – all the legends are made, whether it's on the mat, the ice, or on the hardwood. And Penn State's primed and prepped for, for what could be a, a very spectacular spring uh, or, or late winter uh, performance for the, for the teams that we talked about today. And then you get to April, and then you get to spring ball. And there we go. Can't, can't beat that either. No, you certainly cannot beat spring football. Come out of the winter's cold. Right into some spring warmth, which we're kind of already getting now. But when it's football season, it's different. Yeah, and back to football. Of course, this is the Lashing Out podcast. We've got a special guest next week that Kevin's going to tell you a little bit about here before we say goodbye for this episode. You guys won't want to miss it. He is a great guy. Uh, I don't know if I want to spoil the name. Uh, Former coach for Nittany Lions. I once met him in a Wawa in Richmond. He saw my Penn State beanie. He's like, did you go there? And I was like, yeah, sure did. Big fan. He goes, I used to coach there. We had a little bit of a conversation. And uh, he doesn't remember it after I reached out to him. But uh, both of our wives, he loves talking about Penn State. Um, I don't think he could say anything. Anything you've heard about Penn State, he has talked about with unprompt, being unprompted. And um, it's he loves the program. And I think it's just going to be an excellent interview. So. If you're listening this week, be sure to be on the lookout for the for the episode next week. Well, there you have it. We'll say goodbye and leave you on that. Cool little cliffhanger to prepare for next week. So for Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Prigar on the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>